Hello and welcome to Innovating for the Earth, the story of Calix, an Australian company, their technology and the difference it's making. Today we're discussing direct air capture and Calix's subsidiary Lilac's new partnership with direct air capture company Heirloom. So direct air capture is the process of using technology to pull carbon dioxide out of the air. How does it work? How does Heirloom do it? Why do we need it? Once the carbon dioxide is pulled out of the air, how is it stored? Is it safe? Is it affordable? If not, will it ever be? And can the prospect of using direct air capture be used as an excuse by some to keep on emitting? How will the heirloom and lilac technologies work together and how will the development of this technology fit in with other decarbonisation efforts? So many questions. Uh, I'm joined by Dan Rennie, who returns to Innovating for the Earth. When we first spoke, Dan was Calix's General Manager of Cement Decarbonisation and we talked a bit about what Calix was doing in carbon capture, utilisation and storage. Dan now has a new job at a new company. He's the CEO of Lilac. So he's left Calix, well kind of, you know, some TV shows have spin-offs like Better Call Saul was a spin-off from Breaking Bad. Lilac is kind of like a spin-off from Calix. Calix owns 93% of Lilac. US investor Carbon Direct has the other 7%. Lilac has a license to use the core Calix technology and is using it to help decarbonize the cement and lime industries. Welcome back, Dan. Well, thank you very much for, for having me back, and it's a, a real pleasure to be here. So thank you, James. Good, good. Now, before we get into direct air capture, tell me a bit about Lilac and how it's using Calix's core technology. So, that, well, thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, Lilac is, as you mentioned, is using Calix's core technology to really accelerate and focus on the commercialization of its application to capturing CO2. Uh, really fo- initially focused on the, the um, cement and lime industries. It, it's got a history going back to 2015 now, where it was originally uh, granted EU funding to see if this technology could be applied to the cement and lime industries. And with that funding, we built the Lilac One pilot in Belgium that we talked about last time, which has got the mm. capacity to capture 25,000 tonnes of CO2 of this unavoidable uh, emissions. So you're, you're quite right. Uh, when we last spoke, uh, this was still very much part of, of Calix, but in, in, this is such an important technology. The idea was to really uh, have a company focused on and dedicated to ensuring its commercial rollout as quickly as possible. And I've, I've got the great pleasure and honor of being its, its CEO. So the, the technology itself is really, again, focused on these unavoidable process emissions Mm. from limestone. Uh, It's a very efficient way that effectively keeps the CO2 pure as it's released from this limestone. Limestone loses almost half of its weight uh, as as CO2. That's why the cement and lime industries are are hard to abate uh, industries. And the lilac process really just does that by having these um, heated steel tubes, which allow the, the this CO2 to be kept pure. And it just doesn't re- have a high energy penalty. It doesn't require additional chemicals or processes, which is what the approach that most carbon capture uh, processes do have. 
So we've got this benefit of this very elegant technology and we're really targeting very low cost decarbonisation solutions for the lime and cement industry. So that's a bit of an overview of lilac and why we're here. Good. Oh, thank you. Also joining us is Shishank Samala, CEO of Heirloom, direct air capture company. Welcome. Thanks, Shishank. Thanks for having me, James. Now, what is direct air capture and why do we need it? So direct air capture is a carbon removal technology that helps us remove CO2 that is we've already spewed into the atmosphere. Humanity has emitted about 2 trillion tons of carbon dioxide into the air over the last couple of hundred years. And carbon removal and director capture is really the only the closest thing we have to a time machine because we can turn back the clock on climate change. Uh, we remove CO2 from the air, which is different than removing CO2 from a smokestack. Uh, this is about legacy emissions and this is about uh, the hardest to abate emissions. Uh, why do we need it? Uh, the United Nations and the, and the climate scientists have made it very clear uh, in the 2018 IPCC report. Uh, in order to stop climate change, we can't just end greenhouse gas emissions. We also have to remove billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the air. Like this is this is a climate math uh, problem at this point. Uh, there is just too much CO2 in the air. And the pace at which we are decarbonizing is much slower than what the world needs to be doing. Um, so the science is clear. We need to remove billions of tons of CO2. So why is direct air capture for some controversial? So some claim that it is distracting because it could be using renewable, renewable energy um, that could otherwise be used to decarbonize industry, or it could be used as a license to continue to pollute. And, and my answer to that, just like, you know, other climate scientists made this clear, is we, unfortunately, we don't have a, a two-way path here. And unfortunately, we don't have um, a, a choice. Uh, this is a must-do. I, mean, I wish we didn't start heirloom. I wish we didn't have to remove billions of tons of CO2 from the air. I wish we didn't just open this facility that we just did last week. I wish none of those things need, were needed. Um, we are here and we started this company uh, and many others uh, in the space have as well because we do at this point. It's, it's a climate math problem. And if you, wanna, if you want to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, this is just a must-have. You know, just like 10, 15 years ago, we said, hey, renewable energy uh, needs to be deployed much, much, much faster. Um, you know, today, you know, it, it, even four or five years ago, this was on the fringes, right? Many people... Um, thought we were going to need this, but uh, scientists now have made this very clear. Um, so, yeah, we don't have a choice. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Dan? Oh, c completely agree. And it, it really isn't taking away the need to decarbonize um, or, or do everything that we can. It's just everything needs to be done as hard and as quickly as possible. And as Shank was mentioning, none of the IPCC models work without uh, this so it really is a, a very important tool that we need to to uh, a lever that we need to pull as hard as possible along with everything else. Yeah, yeah. And Shishak, what is the what's different about your company Heirloom's approach to direct air capture? Yeah, so you know, for us, when I when I first got into this, uh, just to give a background to myself, you know, I grew up in Southeast India. I saw firsthand impacts of climate change. I've seen people who have contributed the least to climate change suffering the most from its impacts. Um, you know, I was terrified to consider how much 
hotter the heat waves could get and how much longer the droughts could last. And, you know, for me, this, this mandate by scientists was very personal uh, when I first started my journey about five years ago. And, you know, I looked at solutions across the space. You know, I'm not a chemical engineer. I'm not a PhD in chemical engineering. You know, you know, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer by background. So I, I basically read a lot of papers, like how do you remove carbon from the air? You know, this thing that is so dilute in the air, right? One molecule out of every 2,500 molecules. Um, how do you capture that? And, and, you know, there's two constraints. One was this needs to be done at around $100 per ton to have any meaningful impact on climate. It needs to be affordable by society or else this won't be adopted. That is just fundamental, uh, 100 bucks a ton. And there's not a lot of things in the world that cost 100 bucks a ton, by the way. Like mm. if you just think about, you know, like what, what costs 100 bucks a ton? It's like sand and, and, and concrete, right? Like things that have gravel, things have been, that have lots of learning curves, have scaled up a lot. Um, have many years of research and development behind them are, and then it's very vast scale costs hundred bucks a ton. So, you know, you really need to be clever as to, um, how you remove carbon at hundred bucks a ton. And the other one is we need to be removing billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the air. So those two constraints, uh, really helped me narrow down what approach I, I pursued. Um, I looked at many different, um, artificial sorbents. Uh, these custom sorbents that are really good at select, being selective for CO2. But I, you know, I just was not satisfied with the cost curves uh, and just how expensive those sponges, those custom sorbents were. Um, and, you know, finally found this one approach that uses limestone, uh, which is, which is thirsty for CO2 in the air. Um, and, but the problem is it's kind of slow. So, you know, we had, funded some research to see if we can give some superpowers to limestone to pull carbon much faster than it otherwise would. Um, and it ended up working. Uh, we were able to get it from months, what would otherwise take months or years, down to about now three days. Uh, it was many years of you know uh, R&D that got us there. And now we basically have a solution that just puts a bunch of rocks, cheap rocks, limestone costs 30 to 40 bucks a ton, um, and we can actually recycle it in our process, uh, which we'll get to using the lilac kiln uh, for Dan's company. Um, so we just put a bunch of rocks and a bunch of trays and expose them to the air. And this stuff sucks up CO2 from the air and we, re- we reuse the limestone. Wow. So so heirloom uses limestone to capture carbon dioxide from the, the air. Dan, lilac heats limestone and captures the carbon dioxide in the manufacture of cement and lime. Can you explain how your two technologies fit together, Dan? Is the technology you're using with Heirloom different to your cement and lime technology? It, it's exactly the same. Um, so, and, and that's why it's such a neat fit. It's a technology mm. that's been, been designed for the cement and lime industry, and it's about releasing the CO2 once it's been absorbed by that lime in a concentrated form, which means that it can be safely uh, transported and permanently sequestered, so it doesn't reach the atmosphere. Okay. So, uh, the, the Shane, the, 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 how they fit together? Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful marriage, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we we needed to we needed to find a solution that used renewable energy is able to use electricity uh, to break up limestone after it captures CO two from the air. Uh, so that we can take that CO2, compress it, store it underground uh, so it doesn't come back out, uh, and then reuse the cal- calcium oxide, uh, expose it to the air, 
uh, and then and put it back into the kiln. So, uh, yeah, it's a fund- foundational technology to to enable uh, this directory capture application. So you mentioned putting it in the, into the ground. Can you tell us a bit more about the transport and storage of the CO two? How does that work? Yeah. So, it, I mean, let's take a step back a minute. You know, for folks who are uh, new to this. You know, carbon dioxide is a long-living molecule in the air. It stays in the air for about a thousand years after you emit it. So it's really important if you were to capture it to store it somewhere that is permanent so it doesn't come back out uh, or else we're just pushing this climate change problem into our into the future into, mm. so that our kids and can, grandkids uh, have to deal with it. So and there's a couple of ways you can do that. We can uh, sequester the CO2 in uh, applications like concrete, where you can essentially cure the CO2 in the concrete making process. And we, and, and Heirloom has done that earlier this year, uh, became the first company to store CO2 from the air into concrete. And then the other way is to store it underground. Um, this is something that oil and gas companies have done for many, many, many decades safely. Um, and permanently, and they used it for enhanced oil recovery to store CO2 underground to recover more more oil. Obviously, we will be doing only storing and not recovering oil. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and we have lots of data to show that there is no leakage from that for the many many decades uh, humanity has been doing it, and we will, we're going to do the same thing here. Dan, it's interesting, isn't it? You create one innovation like direct air capture. Then you've got to create all these other other innovations down the track to transport and st- and store it and do everything else. What what in terms of transport and storage, what technology exists and and what more is needed to do it more efficiently? Well, CO two has been transported one way or another uh, since the uh, for many many decades. In fact, in the United States, it's as as uh, Shank was mentioning, it's been that there are nine thousand miles of CO two pipeline moving CO two every single day, um, uh, primarily used for enhanced oil recovery. But for example, since the nineteen nineties, uh, CO two has been stored. Um, permanently uh, in saline aquifers. And that the interesting thing about that CO2 is that it actually becomes more permanently. It becomes bound uh, to the, the storage site that it's been put in over time. So it actually gets more secure over time. Um, but yes, it, it is, it is uh, an important uh, chain that needs to be considered. It's not a, a one-stop um, uh, solution, but this really is addressing the this CO2 that we is a global problem and affects all industries. Uh, so it's, it is just a, a necessary step. And again, t- certainly talking for the lime and cement industries, there are different options. There are different means of um, having having different uh, cement mixes or, or using uh, less clinker, uh, the, the raw material. But fundamentally, the cement industry expects that it needs to capture and permanently store 1.4 gigatons of CO2 per year by 2050 because there's just no other way of, of getting there. So, yes, transport and storage is that other step, but it is a necessary one for our, our society. And, and would you expect the sophistication of how we do that to increase over the next couple of decades? 
Oh, absolutely. And as as we support this transport and storage infrastructure as it's deployed, uh, again, there is a huge amount of experience there. There are dozens of projects uh, in operation and under development uh, to, to enable this on a global basis. But uh, yes, it, it is something that's very well known. Uh, the costs are coming down for transport and storage, and it, it, there is no reason why CO2 cannot be stored globally and economically uh, to to decarbonize our society. It's been a, a topic of, of significant um, analysis over the years, and uh, there's a huge level of confidence, uh, again, from the IPCC and others. Um, Shashank, you mentioned that oil and gas companies can use direct air capture. Um, can you expand on that and explain that a little bit and explain also how what you do is different? Yeah, so, you know, heirloom specifically, our stance on carbon removal and direct how director capture uh, plays a part in overall climate mitigation is, um, is specific to us and it's unique to us. You know, we've made a commitment that our technology and director capture will not be used as a fig leaf for fossil fuel extran- extraction or expansion. Um, and we, you know, we felt when we released these principles, I think, uh, what you're referring to, you know, when we released the, those principles, we felt that this space needed a leadership in values. And as a, as a front runner in this space, um, we wanted to build a race to the top, um, in terms of standards of deployment. Um, and we call them high road, uh, carbon removal principles and, you know, it's really four things. Um, one is our technology. We will never use our CO2 molecules uh, for enhanced oil recovery. Um, and that second one is we don't accept investment from companies whose core business is in uh, oil and gas production um, to ensure that our governance is um, really tied towards our mission, which is to help not just mitigate, but you know, eventually reverse climate change. And for that, you need to both reduce emissions and to remove legacy emissions. Um, one, and the, the third principle is we need to, we will transparently publish all our uh, reporting data around measurement of CO2 um, to the communities that we deploy in. Um, and then the fourth one is uh, we commit to a robust community engagement uh, so that we develop benefits for uh, the communities that we deploy in, we actually want to lift them and empower them, um, which is different than what traditionally industry has done, which is going to community as an, and really create all these uh, really bad health outcomes um, from, uh, you know, a lot of the places are already overburdened and vulnerable. Um, and, if, you know, when you think about petrochemical and former oil and gas, and we want to, we want to do something different. Uh, we want to listen and we want to uh, lift up communities. So, you know, that's our stance on how, how we think about uh, working with oil and gas. And as I understand it, your two companies, Heirloom and Lilac, have signed license and collaboration agreements. What happens next? Let's scale this thing, right? Um we, yeah, it's super, I mean, it's like Lilac has, and, and Calix has been working on this technology for, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, so, you know, we get to stand on their shoulders, uh, combine it with our own technology uh, as, you know, in removing capture, removing CO2 from the air. And now, um, you know, I think it's game time, right? Like we need to, 
uh, heirloom has gone from rem- removing a kilogram of CO2 out of a petri dish just just over two years ago. Um, and now we just launched a facility last week that can capture up to a million kilograms of CO2 from the air. Um, so it's a, it's a massive scale up. Um, and we're not stopping. Uh, we're building something that is orders of magnitude more uh, over the coming years. And, um, it's, and, and one of the things that it makes that possible are, are innovations uh, and advances that um, Lilac has made uh, over the last decade or so. Um, early projects have been backed by significant U.S. government support. Are you confident the private private sector will get involved in the removal of atmospheric CO two? Yeah, you know, a lot of the focus has recently been on the government support, but in fact, um, all of our customers, uh, you know, as you may know, we've signed uh, one of the largest contracts in carbon removal with Microsoft. Uh, that's worth uh, multi multi uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's up to it's up to three hundred fifteen thousand tons of CO two uh, that they will be buying from us to help help them get to net zero. And there is a recent survey and research uh, developed by Boston Consulting Group that shows we need and and a projected demand in twenty thirty for carbon removal is to, uh, over two hundred million tons. Uh, that's just, you know, in, in seven years, right? Uh, and if you think of, wow, it's like now, now the, the industry is in the hundreds of thousands of tons and we have, we have to go to, you know, hundreds of millions of tons. Like, is that possible? Uh, where is that demand coming from? Well, if, if you, if you just look back, you know, when I first got on, got into this about five years ago, no one was even thinking about buying carbon removals. Uh, you know, it was literally the industry was zero. And I've seen that pick up from zero to what it is today, uh, where, you know, Companies like J.P. Morgan and and Stripe and Shopify, Klarna, Microsoft have been buying carbon removals to help them get to net zero, and we're seeing that those markets. When you up. say carbon removal, do you mean carbon credits? Is that another way of saying that? Or is that's that right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the way these customers think about it is, you know, take Microsoft for example. Um, they've they have a pledge to get to net zero by and actually carbon negative by twenty thirty. And they've done the calculations and they think the first 60% or so, uh, they will be able to reduce, basically move over to solar and wind and, you know, electrify their transportation fleets. And the other 40% has to come from removing carbon. Um, these are not carbon offsets. Uh, these are real carbon removals where you're r- removing real CO2 from the air and putting it, putting it underground. Um, so that's the transition that is happening in this market. Can we talk about direct air capture and whether it supports or inhibits other decarbonisation efforts? Obviously, you can do more than one thing at one time, and you can have a multiple. Yeah, problem. humans are pretty good at doing multiple th- multiple yeah. things at one time. You know exactly. No, I agree uh, we, with we, that. We, it's we, more <laughs> about the allocation of taxpayer funding. If would funding be better directed to more renewable energy generation or more electric vehicles? So, so yes, of course we can do lots mm-hmm. of things at one time. But taxpayer dollars are well, I don't know about scarce. They're kind of <laughs> scarce in an abundant way. Yeah, yeah. So the way I would think about this is right is as humanity, as as countries, as United States, we have to think about where does. Where do we want our country to be in 2035, 2040, 2045? And if you visualize the world then, 
we we need to be deploying lots and lots of renewable solar and wind and hundreds and hundreds of gigawatts every year. In, in addition to that, we also need to be removing the CO2 at the same time. So, and this is an industry that doesn't exist today, a carbon removal industry. So it needs to scale up and it, it will take a decade or two to be able to scale to a level where it can be on par with renewables in terms of its impact. So we need to start today. And, you know, in 2030, like think about, okay, where the taxpayer dollars are going. In 2030, if the renewable energy that director capture would use, even in the best case scenarios for for scaling DAC, we're still only using less than 0.1% of renewable energy that we need to be deploying every year, right? Like in terms of dollars, like it's, 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 it's insignificant, but it will be important to scale up DAC so that in the 30s and the 40s, um, we have another meaningful tool um, in, in our in our portfolio of solutions. Yeah. Dan, thoughts? Yeah, and it, it really is a, a bit of a no regrets um, uh, approach to be investing in. And and taking renewables for the uh, as an example, they receive far fewer subsidies than they did in the beginning. There was an initial uh, drive to, to get their deployment and get their costs down, and that's allowed industry to flourish. And, and often renewables are far cheaper than conventional or, or fossil fuel-based uh, electricity generation. So um, that there is no regrets from uh, investing in every approach that can help tackle this uh, this issue that we've got with CO two and uh, all of, all of the other benefits that we have to our society around with it. And it does not just apply for for uh, one technology. I think, as we've in- indicated here, that the 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 actions that are being undertaken in support of, of Heirloom with its visionary uh, approach to really addressing these, um, uh, particularly legacy emissions, directly helps the decarbonisation of hard-to-abate industries such as lime and cement, and actually beyond that, because this is also uh, supporting Calix's broader portfolio of activities, which also includes decarbonising iron and steel and, and uh, transport sectors. So all of those learnings and sharings are, uh, and, and advancements are, are actually helping the, the broader community. So. And, and Dan, what does the partnership with Heirloom mean for LILAC? How will it influence your technology development and other applications? Oh, it, it really is hugely uh, important. Um, and it, it's a great pleasure, actually, because uh, Heirloom's um, vision and ambition and momentum is key to driving decarbonisation. And it really just helps our deployment and, and scaling up. And again, that, that directly benefits the cement and lime industry. The electrification of industry is actually a key plank of, of the um, cement and lime industry's um, 2050 targets to getting to, to net zero as well as capturing its carbon. And this is a great way of uh, allowing those learnings to be shared too. So it, it really is entirely complementary and uh, a great way of um, accelerating this deployment of, of this and other decarbonisation approaches. And uh, But but it's actually even just, it's a pleasure on a day-to-day basis working with such a, a motivated and driven team and um, it, we're very aligned and it's a, a great joy to work with Adelaide, actually. So finally, for both of you, I mean, you guys could be, you know, you're engineers, you could be putting your ex- expertise into making 
a, a new kind of chocolate biscuit or something, something that people would enjoy but wouldn't really um, uh, make the planet any better or <laughs> or assist humanity in any great way. We've got plenty of chocolate biscuits a, as it is. What does it mean for you personally to be involved in this and, and what do you hope it means for communities as as you hope, I guess, your technology is used more and more over the next 20 years, Shashank? Yeah, you know, I think the I think that the the thing that uh you know deep down fires me up and motivates me uh is the inequity of the impacts of climate. I think the people who decide things for the world uh are sometimes in the you know in the ivory tower and not understanding where what is actually happening in the world, right? Like, you know, my, my, the, the communities I grew up in, my neighborhoods, um, have been flooded completely twice in the last three or four years, uh, the, where I grew up in India. And like those things don't catch, they're not caught in airwaves in the West. Um, but those are happening today. And it is a reminder, each new devastation is a reminder that there is already too much CO2 in the air. Mm. Um, not even getting from, you know, we've emitted the most, uh, Humanities ever emitted last year, and uh, that obviously has to get to net zero. But not only do we need to do we need to get to net zero, we actually we have to start removing the CO two uh, that we've already put in the air, right? So um, I think you know this is this this is a century long battle uh, that we'll face. And personally, I think I'm very lucky and grateful. Uh, to to sort of been given this opportunity to lead a company like this, uh, which directly you know impacts uh, climate by removing CO one CO two molecule at a time. Um, you know I don't take it with, for granted. I don't take it um, uh, you know uh, as 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 a sure thing. So it's it's a uh, it's it's a unique opportunity we have where we have the entire zeitgeist customers and investors and. Uh, policymakers, everyone wanting to this to this to happen. So uh, we're going to give it our best shot. Great, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it couldn't be more of an important, difficult challenge facing our society. And we really do have the option and the technology and the vision to to really go and uh, really make a substantial difference to this. We now know what the problem is and the the impact that humans have had on our environment, and we do want this to be an environment that we, w- w- is a sustainable one, uh, particularly mm. for our, our children or communities. Um, and it really is a, a great um, honor to be working with Elum and for this core technology that des- is intrinsically being designed to be rolled out as a as part of a just transition. So again, I, I am also thinking from a cement and lime industry hat on, and all of these work are with the express intent of having a technology that is cheap, affordable, and supports local communities and can be deployed by local communities and supports local economic and social uh, uh, journey on a a just and low carbon environment and so it's it, these, these things do not need to be mutually exclusive they can work together we've got the technology that proves they can work together and actually addri- address legacy emissions as well so um, it's a hugely exciting time we've got a, a wonderful window of opportunity and uh, uh, it's uh, we just need to seize it with both hands 
Well, thank you both for your time. Um, we're all in different parts of the world and, and not everyone has been doing it at user-friendly hours. So thank you all for getting up early and staying up late. Uh, and good luck with your really important collaboration and um, and the difference it's, it's, it will hopefully make over over the next bit of future that, that uh, we get to live in. Thanks to Dan Rennie, the CEO of Lilac, and Shishank Samala, CEO of Heirloom. And thanks for listening to our podcast, Innovating for the Earth, the story of Calix and its technology. Lots of other apps are available.